reading the Bible. This is what we're, we're talking about now for the next few weeks. And we went through a week of prayer where we were praying uh, several nights in a row here at the church. And it was a powerful time. And I actually have a book that I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to go down. I know I'm off online right now. Sorry, guys, who are online. But at the end, I will give away this book for any of you that would, would like it. Um, for one of you, I guess. <laughs> uh, we also have more um, in the office. But for the next two weeks, I am going to cover um, prayers of the prophets. Now, not cover like cover to cover, but I'm going to do two prayers of the prophets. And um, the week one today, I'm going to talk on the focus is eyes on you, and week two is a heart for you. So eyes on you and a heart for you. There are many um, prayers of the prophets in the Bible, okay? I've picked two out of a list um, that was narrowed down, and then I picked two that I felt was good for our season right now and what I felt like God was highlighting, Praying prayers that the prophets have prayed, <laughs> try saying that a few times, opens us up to different aspects of prayer. It is a realm that is not often accessed when we pray. And more than other prayers, the prayers of the prophets actually invite us in to the feelings of God. So if you've ever known a person that operates in the, as a prophet or even has a great prophetic gifting, it is evident in their lifestyle, the way they communicate, the way they act, the way they, um, their, their emotions, of the passions of God that will come through. It's like everything is prophetic. Okay, so we have a, a mentor um, a seasoned, very seasoned uh, prophetess, woman of God, that... Um, her name is Peggy Kennedy, and she travels the world, and, and she does just crazy things. And we got connected with her many, many years ago when we were very, very young. And um, it, it's interesting talking to her or looking at her life because literally everything is prophetic. Everything. Like the way her house is set up, the car she drives. Um, and, and when you have conversations with her, she'll be like, <laughs> it's so prophetically obvious. Comments like that. And when we, many years ago, when we first started spending time with her and sitting under kind of like just for coffee and things like that, um, it's almost like we needed a translator but <laughs> in the conversation because it was just like operating on such a different level than where we were and we were growing in, in, in that back in the day. Um, even if you've read a book, if you ever read a book that's strong in the prophetic, the way it's written, it's like, it's a challenge. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to put it down. I'm just going to, you know, give that thing a break for a minute and uh, digest that one sentence that I just read. If you're raising a highly prophetic child or a highly discerning child, it has its challenges, especially if you yourself don't strongly flow that way. I mean, we all can prophesy. And we all can discern things. But then there's some that have gifts of that that operate in just a different level. And, and, and if you have a child that operates in that but you yourself don't, it can be challenging. Um, we, for, for Craig and I, we, we, we both operate in this way. But it would be uh, on the gift set, it would be my stronger gift than his. And he has other gifts. And um, 
so Josiah growing up, he operates pretty strong in the prophetic and discernment. And even as just a, like a little baby and, and just like he like see, he would see things in the spirit and, and feel it's such a huge feeler. And uh, as a little baby, sometimes he would just like kind of point and look to it. We're like, what is he seeing right now? You know, in the supernatural. And, and as he began to get older, uh, older child and teenage, he'd sometimes walk into a venue or an event or store or whatever. And suddenly it's just like, he could feel everything in the room and he would just like, I need to get out of here. And, uh, and even now, you know, as a young adult, we're still kind of helping him guide, be guided through how to, to work that out in his life. And, and is it me? Is it someone else? Is it the room? What am I feeling right now? What's going on with me? I'm so, you know, it's not you right now. It's, you know, and so there's a lot to figure out when it comes to prophecy and the prophetic. Prayers of the prophets will give us insight into the heart of God. So if this has been your desire to know God's heart and to be acquainted with his sufferings, to get to really know him, I would encourage you to get into the prayers of the prophets. You don't have to have a strong prophetic gift to pray the prayers of the prophets or even to get better acquainted with them the heart and feelings of God. You can desire it, you can step into it, and then you can pray it. Prophets in the Bible were some of the strangest people. I feel like they still are. <laughs> I mean, you have Hosea. Hosea, whole life represented the aspects of a jealous God for his people. His whole life just represented that. You have Ezekiel, whose wife died, but he couldn't mourn because it was a sign to the people. Then you have Jeremiah. Jeremiah, guys, he literally weeped day and night. <laughs> like all he did was cry, <laughs> like all the time. Can you imagine being his friend? <laughs> it's like, you're just crying all the time. Like, wow, we don't even get a break here. You know, just all the time. And I could go on and on. Our God is a personal God. He is not just some spirit hovering over the head and guiding our every step, answering our petitions when we say them. He lives in your pain of your everyday life. Our God is passionate. He doesn't just know about us. He is lovesick for us. And he is desperate for us. So the struggles that we endure, the journeys we walk through, we're not meant to walk alone. He is right there and he is waiting for that invitation to come into your pain and to come into your life so he can take that off you so you can receive peace even in the middle of your pain. See, sometimes in the middle of our situations, we're, we're praying, we're asking for something, and sometimes that miracle comes and there's an instant freedom from your problem. But sometimes, like if it's a sickness and you don't get that miracle, sometimes it's a healing. Now, a healing occurs over time. A peace is needed for a healing that's not necessarily needed for a miracle. Okay? Because the miracle comes sudden, but the healing can take time. And in the middle, while you're waiting for the healing to fully manifest in the natural, you need a peace that's going to surround your mind to hold on. The miracle comes fast. The healing can take a travail in prayer. 
a hope. It's like a one step in front of the other. It's like a day-by-day thing. It takes a lot of that long-lasting faith. But one thing I do know, no matter what the problem, the solution is Jesus. That's what I do know. He is the answer to all the issues of life, the complications at work, the struggles at home, the sickness in our body, the trouble in our minds. See, there are times in life where we have a problem that we can find a, re- a resolution to. We, we can find the answer. We know what to do. God has given us great minds. We have the ability to problem solve. For instance, if the problem is it's cold outside, I can put on a jacket. Like, I don't need to pray about that. Like, I just put it on, right? I can solve that problem. But there are times in life that we have problems that we cannot find resolution to. It can be as small as a work issue. It can be as big as a bad health diagnosis. It can be a loss of a job. It can be a loss of a friend, a loss of a life. We need Jesus. See, we cannot live a successful life without him. It may have the appearance of success, but a life without Jesus, I guarantee you, is lacking. See, when the pain of life needs an external remedy, our outlook must always be up. And in 2 Chronicles 20, this is is an amazing story of that. And you have King Jehoshaphat here in this story. And he is faced with this alarming, impossible situation. He gets word. He has found out that there are three people groups that have joined forces and they have declared war on him. This isn't good news. These are three, this is a hostile army, three groups that pronounced a threat on his life right after he returned to seeking God following his near-death experience because he had allied himself with King Ahab of Israel. If you want to read that, just kind of go back a little bit in Chronicles. Jehoshaphat's last experience on the battlefield was not good. It had a bad memory attached to it. Have you ever been coasting through life? You know, things are decent. Not much to complain about. It's all good. And then, bam, something breaks out in your life. How many know things are good until they're not? <laughs> right? It's, how often do we get like a heads up on bad news? So the intelligence report comes in. It says, enemies are on the way to fight you. They're going to fight you. So let's read. It says in verse 1, sometime later, the Moabites, the Ammonites, accompanied by the Mennonites, joined forces to make war on Jehoshaphat. He received this intelligence report, a huge force is on its way from beyond the Dead Sea to fight you. There's no time to waste. They're already coming. Shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. He went to God for help, and then he ordered a nationwide fast. The country of Judah united in seeking God's help. They came from all the cities of Judah to pray for God. This was the first response. This should be our knee-jerk response. Okay, (laughs) not a text, Not a phone call, not a Facebook post, Jesus. Take it to the Lord, people. (laughs) That's what we're supposed to do. That should be our response. Jehoshaphat set the example. He prayed. He wasn't about to ask the people to do something that he wasn't already doing. He prayed, then he fasted, and then he brought everyone along with him. He's like, hey, so this happened. 
and we have this word, and we're not taking any chances here. We don't know what to do, but we do know what to do. Jesus. We're going to pray, and we're going to fast. We're not looking for an easy way out. We're looking to touch the heart of God. We're looking for the miracle. We're looking for the freedom. We're looking for God to come in. So whatever it takes, he said, we're all in here. So all of Judah was united now in seeking God's help. This is pretty cool. They're all come together to seek God's help. The word seek um, is actually occurs a couple times in Hebrew, but it's variously translated. But in Jehoshaphat's reign, the, the way this word was used, and, and it was very key in his reign, it has the basic sense of worship, but in more depth, it related to seeking the will of God. So, and discovering what that is. So this was a seeking, not just for a quick result, not just for, uh, uh, well, give me the answer here, but a direction, a clear direction. This shows that Jehoshaphat had such a high trust in God, even more so than his trust in his military resources. In Mark chapter 9, verse 28, Jesus talks about prayer and fasting. He talks about that coming together to seek the Lord and to touch the heart of God through prayer and fasting. Together, prayer and fasting is a significant source of spiritual power. Prayer and fasting doesn't earn us points. It doesn't get us more blessing. It doesn't actually get the answer or promises of the answer. Prayer and fasting draws us closer to the heart of God. It puts us in alignment with his power. Fasting is a powerful expression of our total dependence on him. It really changes us. So all of Judah gathered to seek God, to find direction for his will. This shows that the Spirit of God was alive and well in them and in that land. And they responded to the call of their king to come together. There was unity and there was oneness. This may seem a little extreme. Okay, so there's a problem. We're going to call the whole nation to fast and prayer and that they all come. But how many know when you are facing an extreme problem, you need to approach it with an extreme action? Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat took position before the assembled people of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of God in front of the new courtyard and said, O God, our God, our ancestors, are you not God in heaven above and ruler of all kingdoms below? He stands in front of Jerusalem and, and Judah. And this, this large assembly represented a, a, a gathered kingdom that needed a leader, but not just any leader. They needed a godly leader in this moment because they were facing this huge issue and this oneness and this togetherness of, of, of following someone that they could trust. So he begins his prayer by recognizing the power of God over heaven and over all the kingdoms of the nations. This is significant because in the land that they lived, there were so many different people groups. And every people group believed that they had their own deity. They had localized deities. So the Moabites had their God. The Philistines had their God. The Ammonites had their God. Jehoshaphat says no. He states his prayer. He says there is one God over all the nations over all the earth, and over all the heavens. He establishes that at the beginning. Then he goes on, he says, you hold all power and might in your fists. No one stands a chance against you. And didn't you make the natives of this land leave as you brought your people Israel in, turning it over permanently to your people? 
He prays. He recognizes God's great work in the past for his people. Basically, he's saying, if you did it before, you can do it again. This is what he's saying here. He's reminding God. He's reminding the people, if you did it before, you can do it again. He says, they have lived here and built a holy house of worship to honor you. Saying, when the worst happens, whether war or flood or disease or famine, and we take our place before the temple, knowing that you permanently are present in this place, and we pray out our pain and our trouble, we know you will listen and give us victory. This is, this is a good prayer. This is a good prayer. He stands on the ground of previous prayer and prior answers to prayer. See, if you have been somewhere and you have travailed in prayer, and you have seen the breakthrough in this place, I encourage you, go back to that place and contend again. Come on. You're in a situation right now, and you need an answer to prayer, and you've been somewhere before, and you've seen prayers answered. Go back to that place and travail again in prayer. I'm telling you that place is holy ground. I'm telling you something happened there, and there's something significant in that place. Go back to that place and travail again. See the hand of the Lord come again to that place. He's standing there. He's on, on these previous prayers. And, and, and this echoes the prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. Back in 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon, as he dedicated the temple, he began to pray out just a prayer of dedication over it and what would to come. And, and in this moment, Jehoshaphat's like, I'm, I'm like talking about that, so to speak, you know, God. Like I'm talking about what has already happened here. This is stacking prayers. This is stacking prayers. You're just stacking up before the king. Stacking up. So Solomon, in 2 Chronicles 6, he says, oh God, I'm not going to read it all, but he says, listen to the prayers. I'm settling before you. Keep your eyes open to this temple day and night. As he's dedicating, he said, keep your eyes open to this temple day and night. This place you promise to dignify with your name. And listen to the prayers I pray in this place. He's like, listen to me. Come on, listen to the prayers I'm praying right here. And... He said, listen to your people Israel when they pray in this place. So in this moment, as he's dedicating the temple, but way before Jehoshaphat was there, he's saying, hey, in the prayers that are to come with your people one day down the road, some, when there's something happening and maybe they didn't expect it, and now they're gathered together and they're praying a prayer to you, could you listen to them as well in that moment? And, and Jehoshaphat saying, he's like, do you remember that prayer, God? Do you remember that, that he already did that? That he already prayed that Solomon already prayed that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring that up right now. So please answer us today. Not just for me right here in my prayer, but for Solomon's prayer too. The stacking prayers. Jehoshaphat, verse 10. He said, now it's happened. The men coming from all these places, they've shown up. You didn't let Israel touch them when we got here first. Remember that? We detoured around them, and we didn't actually lay a hand on them. And now they've come to kick us out of the country you gave us. Dear God, won't you take care of this for us? We're helpless before this vandal horde ready to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you. See, Jehoshaphat's praying with both knowledge and understanding in this moment. He knew that God didn't allow them back in the day to invade the people when they came from Egypt to the promised land. 
He didn't allow the people to destroy them, his people. So he's like, since God didn't allow Israel to destroy the people, then it would be unjust if he allowed these people to destroy Israel now and Judah now. He implicitly is praying that God would not allow his people to suffer a consequence today because of their prior obedience. Are you getting it? If not, you might have to listen to it again. (laughs) He thought this thing through. I mean, his prayer is good. It's good. Here's King Jehoshaphat. He's in front of his people, and he's not afraid to be vulnerable, to put it out there, to remind God of his prayers, to remind him of things, to say, I don't even know what to do here. My only answer is you, God. I don't know what to do. I'm the king. I'm the leader. I don't know what to do. Adam Clark called this prayer one of the most sensible, pious, correct, and as to its composition, one of the most elegant prayers ever offered under the Old Testament dispensation. The late renowned Gustavius, king of Sweden, would pray this prayer on his ship when he was at shore and in the field and in the middle of the battlefield. He leaned on this prayer knowing it could do for him in the battlefield what no piece of armor could ever do. We don't know what to do, but we're looking at you. Some translations say we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This prayer, this statement alone could be one of the most touching, meaningful, and relatable sentences in the Bible. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. You know what to do. So we keep our eyes locked in the face of you. You move, we move. You stay, we stay. You speak, we listen. You instruct, we obey. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. See, it doesn't matter how crazy, it doesn't matter if we understand it, we trust you. This is the prayer of King Jehoshaphat, and this is, should be our prayer today. Verse 14, Jezeel was moved by the Spirit of God to speak from the midst of the conversation. He said, attention everyone, all of you from out of town, all of you from Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Here's God's word. Don't be afraid. Don't pay any mind to this vandal horde. This is God's war, not yours. Tomorrow, you'll go after them. See, they're already on their way. You'll meet them at the end of the ravine. You won't have to lift a hand in this battle. Just stand firm and watch God's saving work for you take shape. Don't be afraid. Don't waver. March out boldly tomorrow. God is with you. See, here's the answer. The answer showed up. There was a lot before the answer, before it showed up that happened. But the answer came. The sense in this moment, catch it, is that as after Jehoshaphat's great prayer, the people stood silently. That's the sense we get that happened here before the Lord, just waiting, just waiting. It was like a pin drop moment. And then out of this huge group of people in this very, very quiet moment, 
I can just picture one man <laughs> raising his hand. <laughs> it's like, it's like he suddenly had this spontaneous prophetic word that came. Anyone ever been there? You suddenly have a word <laughs> for someone or in a church service or something like that. And you're just like, oh, man. I mean, you know because your heart just begins to race. You're like, this is brutal because, like, I have to do something with this now. But what if I'm wrong? I don't want to speak in front of people. What if I say something ridiculous? What if I look ridiculous? This one man <laughs> raises his hand. Probably not, but maybe it's what I picture. All it takes is 10 seconds of courage to move from fear to faith. And he did. He says, stand and believe. Tomorrow you'll go out against them, but God's already won it for you. See, there were no end to the list of ways God could have handled this situation. And all of them would have been good. But he chose a way that demanded a participation from his people and faith from his people, a partnership with his people. First stand, second believe, third go. They stood, they prayed together, they heard the word of the Lord, they believed, and early the next morning they woke and they went. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Let's stand. This is a prayer of the prophet. This is one of them found in the word. Today, as we close, we are going to pray this prayer together. Because I believe that this prayer that started way back with Solomon with the dedication of the temple and then Jehoshaphat reminding of that, that prayer and then kind of adding more to, like, God, we need you in this situation. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We know that you've won victory. We have been obedient to your call. I believe that these stacking prayers and now to us today, we can pray them again. We can pray this prayer again for your situation and your situation and your situation, for all of our situations, no matter what you are facing, and you can see the breakthrough. You're like, well, I've been praying, I've been praying, and I don't see the breakthrough. You keep stacking your prayers. Sometimes it's a miracle. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes the long-lasting faith, but either way, today you're closer than you were yesterday. Don't give up. Don't give up. The only way you won't see it is if you quit. But we don't have to quit. We have a hope in one who is faithful, who is trustworthy from the generations beyond into the generations to come. We are going to, I'm going to ask the, uh, put up on the screen, and we are going to pray this prayer together. And as we do, um, let's think about what's going on in your life. Put yourself in there and contend for what you need. Oh, God, God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven above and ruler of all the kingdoms below? You hold all power and might in your fists. 
no one stands a chance against you. And didn't you make the natives of this land leave as you brought your people Israel in, turning it over permanently to your people Israel, the descendants of Abraham, your friend? When the worst happens, whether war or flood or disease or famine, we will take the place in this temple because we know you are present in this place. We pray out our pain and trouble. <laughs> we know that you will listen and give us victory. God, won't you take care of us? We're helpless before this attack. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We thank you that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to pay any mind to this attack. This is your war, not ours. We thank you that we won't have to lift a hand in this battle. Just stand firm and watch your saving work take shape. We don't need to waver, but instead march boldly forward in confidence for you, God, are with us. Come on, one more time. For you, God, are with us. Okay, one more time again. For you, God, are with us. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for every one of your people that are here represented right now and all the families that they represent as they stand here, all the needs that are before you, all the petitions that have gone out in Jesus' name. I just, if you have a, a petition, if you have a need, just go ahead and raise your hand right now. And I just, you see every hand raised, you see every situation, you see the desperate cry of your people. You you see the prayers that have gone out over and over and over. And I thank you that they are not the first one to pray that prayer. That there have been people that they don't even know from before that have prayed for them. From around them that are currently praying for them. And there are stacking prayers in heaven before you are great king. So I pray in accordance to your will and in accordance to your word, that you would answer every one today, that you would bring the miracles, that you would bring the healings, that you would bring the provision, that you would bring the freedom, that you would bring the breakthrough, that you, God, would come through like only you can. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and we trust you in your name. Amen.